Acheron, The Demon King, by Morgan Huxley. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 7 The next night found Mary in the loft of her barn. She dragged up some of the hay she used to pack her pottery in using an old rope and pulley, and she had littered the loft floor with the sweet-smelling grass. Then she had turned over a metal washtub and placed an old board over it to make a table. She decided an old oil storm lantern hung from the rafters provided more pleasant illumination than the bare light bulb that hung in the middle of the barn. The night was warm so she threw open the upper doors of the loft to reveal a sky full of stars. Her strange dreams and mysterious experience with the cards had left her uncomfortable in her house. It was as if she had invited a hundred invisible guests over for dinner and they had never left. She heard Stuart's car and moments later he entered the barn as if he knew he would find her there. You've been busy, said Stuart as he eyed the masks littering every available bench and table on the first floor of the barn. Some were boxed up, ready to be shipped to America. Some were painted and glazed. Others were bone white and still warm from the inferno of the kiln. Like them? Mary asked. I can't seem to stop making them. Stuart walked around the room as if he were in an art gallery, lifting one mask after another, eyes slipping over some to linger on others. I'm sure Madame Bouchard would be pleased, he said at last. I thought we might meet up here, she said. The ladder is stronger than it looks but watch out for splinters. Stuart, once again dressed in jeans and a loose cotton shirt, joined her aloft in a matter of seconds. Do you mind? she asked. It's stuffy in the house. Now that she was looking around, she thought it might seem like she had arranged an area for romance rather than instruction. Not at all he said, glancing at the stars through the upper window. I spent the day in class and in the library. I'm sick of being indoors. He settled himself atop the hay and his fingers went to a black leather bag tied to his belt. Mary sat tailor fashion across from him, putting her box of cards on the makeshift table. When she started to open it, he stopped her. Let's use mine. I can't have you disabled for the next two days, he said. From out of the bag he drew a leather box, and from out of that spilled a raft of black and silver cards. When he flipped them over for her to look at, Mary could see they were painted in vibrant primary colors and that they were significantly larger than the ones she owned. Those are pretty, she said, leaning over to look at them as he spread them out. Where did they come from? I made them, he said. It took me a few years, but it's traditional in our order for the members to make their own tools. You gave me my cards. The birchard cards are another tradition among us, he said. We share them only with our female initiates. I thought you said you never had women as members. I never said such a thing. I think I indicated we are a predominantly masculine society, but we do have roles for women from time to time. I don't understand, she said. You don't understand, and I could talk all night and into tomorrow and you would still not understand. So... Let's work on something I know that you can understand tonight. I didn't mean to upset you, she said. You have no need to be sorry. I'd just like to move things along a bit, said Stuart. In the lamplight Stuart's skin was sun-bronzed, his eyes silver-gray, and his smile white and knowing. She found herself thinking of the devil she had dreamt of. They were not the same at all, she thought, but they were very akin in some unsettling way. Am I boring you? Stuart asked. Mary jumped, belatedly realizing that he had been speaking to her. More and more she found herself drifting off into daydreams and reveries. It was something she had to stop. No, she said. 
Then she leaned forward to look at the pattern of cards he had laid out. I was just thinking of something else. Stuart shook his head as if to clear it, then began again. As we discussed, some of the cards are real people. Who they are varies from interrogator to interrogator. The interrogator is the person asking me a question, said Mary. Or rather the person you are asking the cards about. Remember you read the cards for people. The cards are talking to you, not to the person you are reading for. The interrogator is the focus of a reading or the focus of a spell you are casting. What if the interrogator is me? She asked. It is never you. Anyone who reads their own cards is just asking for trouble. Really? Why? She asked. Well, first the cards don't like you asking them about your fate. Your fate is something you're supposed to make. It's like asking the waiter what you're having for dinner. Second, casting a spell on yourself is odd. So, what do I use them for? She asked. You ask the cards about the people around you, or you ask them to change the world you live in. You don't ask about yourself or ask them to change you. What about changing others close to you? She asked. In that instance one must obey the old rule, be very careful what you wish for. Making someone kinder, or smarter, or more powerful may turn them into someone else entirely. How could that be? You know, he said abruptly, you ask a lot of questions. Do you want me to stop? No, but I'm hoping they will taper off at some point, he said with a grim smile. Maybe my head will fill up, she offered. For a moment there was silence as they stared at one another, then Stuart continued his lecture. Now, as I mentioned, some of the cards generally describe mortals like you and me. The face cards in the minor arcana fall into that category. Humans will be represented by the major arcana cards when they are under the direct influence of a deity. Like the lower, said Mary without looking up. What? he asked. Voodoo. The lower. They say spirits take over people. Like Baron Samadhi. Stuart stared at her for a moment, then shook his head as if to clear it. You have dabbled in quite a lot of things I see. New Orleans, she said. Remember the masks? I make them for Mardi Gras. I looked up voodoo in a book. What book? The Baron is an intercessor, not lower. Are you sure? She asked. Quite sure, he said. You haven't tried any voodoo spells, have you? No. Pins, needles, dolls, chickens. Nothing I'd be interested in. She waved her hand dismissively. Good, said Stuart. I don't want to have to detach any rogue elements you may have attracted. Now, what are the major arcana again? She asked. Stuart sighed as if displeased by the sudden shifts in the conversation, then began to speak. The fates can be thought of as mechanisms or situations which change the interrogator's position. The deities, as the name implies are, transcendental spirits. I know what the cards represent, said Mary. I mean what are the emperor, empress, or devil? What do they represent? That's like asking what you represent, said Stuart sitting back. You represent yourself, of course. So, the Pope is the Pope? Well, not the terrestrial one. At least not always. What's death? Death is death. And the magician? Are you telling me there is some sort of cosmic magician? She was irritated now. He said nothing for a moment, watching her. Are you trying to have magic without magic? He asked. Angels, devils, deities, spirits, are all rather the heart and soul of magic, 
don't you think? I don't believe in those things, she said. I don't believe in God, or the devil, or spirits or demons. The goddess? he suggested. Mother Earth, she said. Gaia. The world is a living thing. He studied her, clearly finding her more amusing by the moment. Well, since I'm the one teaching and you are the one learning, I suspect you might want some understanding of what I think. Not if it's fairy tales. That actually made him smile. Fairy tales, he said. Tell me what you think they are. Stories, she said. Fantasies people make up to amuse themselves. Deities, demons, fairies all have something in common, he said. An invisible world that influences, even controls, this one. You will never convince me that he deities in the card actually represent real gods, she said firmly. Do you believe in atoms? Radio waves? X-rays? Of course. Why? You can't see them. But they can be detected. As can deities. That's apples and oranges. Atoms aren't alive. How on earth do you know that? He shook his head in disbelief. How do you even know what alive means? She stared at him. Let's get back to the lesson, he said. He lifted one of the cards, held it up so she could see it. It was the one she thought of as the Empress. Creation, he said. Mother love. Family. Wholeness. Completion. That which binds souls to earth. Okay, she said. The goddess. Exactly, he said. A powerful deity that creates the fabric of life itself. A weaver of matter, of DNA, that binds souls to flesh. This is nonsense, she said. She could feel tears starting. He had promised her true magic, and now he was telling her lies. Mary, he said gently. She is the mother of Beltane. You have seen her at work. She shook her head. That was not a person, she said. That was a spell. A spell that called upon a deity, he replied. I don't believe anything you are saying, she said. He shook his head and started gathering his cards. Are you leaving? Are you angry with me? Mary wondered where that left them. Since Stuart could not teach her what she wanted to know, did that mean she was free of her obligation? Did she want to be free of it? I'm not angry, he said. It just appears that you have to digest what you have recently experienced and what we've discussed tonight before we go on. In any case, we have other topics to talk about. Once he had packed his cards away, he reached into his breast pocket to remove a folded sheet of paper. He handed it to her. She opened it to reveal a page of text in Latin. She shook her head and handed it back. I could never learn that much before tomorrow, she said firmly. It took me three weeks to memorize a five-line poem in school. She looked out the upper barn doors at the woods across the field and at the stars that filled the sky above them. Besides, I already said I wouldn't agree to be initiated naked, and you can't make good on your promise to teach me magic. Neither of us can make good on our bargain. Stuart smiled. First, Mary, you will be initiated. You agree to the terms of the contract. When she started to interrupt him, he raised his hand to silence her. Second, I've earned a chance to convince you the world is as I say it is, and not whatever you choose to believe in any given moment. Once again, she started to interrupt him, and again he silenced her. Finally, the words won't take you long to memorize if you start learning them now. You can't make me, she said, knowing she sounded like a wayward child. Yes, I can, 
he said easily. I am just betting I don't have to. I think this aversion to nudity is simply a sticking point that you will agree to get past. I will not. It's not as if you have never taken your clothes off before men, even men you haven't had sex with. When? When you go to the doctor. It is not the same. It is exactly the same. You don't question a doctor when he requests nudity because it's part of a social contract that he best knows how to treat you, he said. You will be initiated in the same way we are all initiated. You will come before us naked, and defenseless, and you will swear to serve us as we serve one another. Why should we treat you any differently than any other initiate we've ever accepted in the hundreds of years we've been accepting initiates? Hundreds of years, she said, making no effort to hide her disbelief. Thousands, he said, to be accurate. That is ridiculous, she replied. He was silent for a moment, then he said, I don't understand the problem. I could rape and kill you now, couldn't I? What are you talking about? The question was so shocking all she could do was laugh. We are alone. There's no one to hear you cry out. I'm much larger than you and I am much stronger. Are you insane? She couldn't believe her ears. Suddenly she was very aware of him as a man. What would she do if he decided to hurt her? I'm just saying that if you are safe with me now, you will be safe with me tomorrow night when you are initiated. Mary said nothing. It was true that he could probably tie her up and stick her in his trunk at this very moment if he were so inclined. That thought was not comforting, but the fact that he hadn't done so up until now was a good indication he wouldn't do it going forward. In short, she had trusted him so far. Why would she not trust him going forward? But then, he had never asked her to be naked before. I will make a unique concession, he said. If you don't believe we've been initiating people for hundreds of years by the time you make your oath to us, I'll let you revoke your contract. You'll let me out of our bargain, she said suspiciously. Absolutely. He smiled and added, and I'll even let you keep those tarot cards which are, by any measure, quite priceless. But you will appear naked and you will learn the words. It's a good deal. You have driven a very hard bargain. Mary stared at him for a long moment, then she said, Well, I'm a fool, but I'm going to agree. The idea of giving up the beautiful cards had troubled her, as had the notion of not being able to see the society in action. To be given both those things, and an escape hatch to this ridiculous contract, was enough to get her to go along with being naked before thirteen very wealthy strangers. But after that, the deal is well and truly done, Stuart warned. Do you understand? She nodded. Say you understand, he said firmly. I understand, she said. Good. Because most people, if they are going to back out of our agreement, do it before they've written a contract in their own blood. He stood up, brushed straw off his pants, and moved to the ladder. Learn the words, he said. Then he was climbing down the ladder. Once on the floor, Stuart took a moment to scan the dozens of masks that filled the room. Where are these going? he asked. New Orleans, she said. Mardi Gras. He shook his head and she could just make out a smile. Well, they should quite enjoy that. Then he stepped out into the night. Moments later she heard his car start in the crunch of its wheels on her drive.
This recording and story copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.